Hey, um, I was just thinking about that first, the first song that we were singing, just about uh, joy in the house of the Lord. Just so encouraging, right? It's encouraging to hear everybody singing it. We're, you know, singing it to the Lord, but also just reminding one another. Um, This verse, Psalm 51, verse 12 says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And so if you you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, uh, then you have every reason to be joyful. Sometimes, though, um, things that happen in our lives kind of put a damper on that, and we forget about how significant that is, right? That our eternal destiny has been changed because of what Christ has done and because that, that gift of salvation comes by faith in what he did. And so uh, may the Lord um, honor this uh, prayer request in our lives that David says, you know, restore to us the joy of our salvation. If we've kind of lost touch with that reality, may God just renew within us kind of that sense of like, man, I can't believe he has saved me from my sin and has transferred me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. That, those are all you know, realities that we don't always think about because we don't always see with our eyes, but they are true nonetheless, right? So uh, may God help us with that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer here. Heavenly Father, we uh, just want to just say thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us. And uh, I mean, if it weren't for Jesus and what he's done for us, we would not be here. Um, We would not be here on this day, uh, this day of the week just as uh, uh, so often, uh, you know, in, in church tradition, the, the Sabbath, the, the, the time of worship was moved to this day in celebration of the resurrection. And so, Lord, thank you so much that Jesus rose from the dead. He's not in the grave. And because he rose, we will rise one day too. And so, Lord, we, um, we also just want to bring to you our concerns. God, many of us, Lord, come today uh, having just spent a week, and maybe it's been a very difficult week for us for various reasons. Maybe we had a rough time at school. Maybe we had uh, just a, a difficult time at work. Um, whatever it might be, Lord, we just uh, we want to uh, be like little kids in this way, and that we just raise our hands to you, Lord. We say, Lord, help us. Lord, we need your help. And so, Lord, we, we come to you, and, um, and Lord, we, we are just thankful that Uh, anyone who has a relationship with you through Jesus Christ can boldly come to the throne of grace. And also it says we'll find help in time of need. And so, Lord, thank you for that promise um, that we have access to you now, unhindered because of what Jesus has done. And, Lord, we also just want to take our family members and friends and also our own ailments to you, Lord. There are people who are hurting, who are suffering right now, um, suffering from disease and sickness, uh, ones that we're aware of. Lord, we just pray, God, for your healing touch. We pray, Lord, that you would grant them just uh, your mercy and just have relief from whatever it is that's afflicting them, Lord. We pray, God, if they're in the care of doctors, we pray for wisdom for those doctors. Give insight, Lord, and we just pray whether you choose to heal them through those doctors or through your miraculous touch, we just are asking. Lord, you said you have not because you asked not. And so we're coming before you with these requests, Lord. And we just pray this morning that you bless our time in the Word. 
pray that you bless our time together afterwards, Lord, that you would be glorified. We, we want this to be about you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting because when you say Jesus divides, people are like, what? You know, I thought Jesus was like a uniter. You know, I thought Jesus was talking about peace. What is this about Jesus did not come? And he says in this passage, I did not come to bring peace. And so it just kind of like makes us do one of those, you know, dog moments where you're like, "Mm, I don't know, what is that about? And so uh, hopefully by the time we're done today, going through this passage, you'll understand what he means by saying that. And so uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 12. We're actually made it to the end of chapter 12. And uh, Jesus uh, divides here, Luke 12, 49 to 59. And just to kind of remind everybody uh, where we are in the life of Jesus here in terms of we're reading a book of the Bible that's like, you know, in a sense, kind of like his biography. And we are at the portion of Luke here in, in these chapters that we're covering where it says Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He was determined to go to Jerusalem, even though he knew for him that would mean death on a cross, for him that would be a lot, much suffering. And so, uh, so he's making his way towards Jerusalem. And then when we get to chapter 19, we'll be there. Okay? So just got to give you some perspective. Okay? So uh, Luke uh, um, uh, is just a great, great gospel, as they all are. But just so kind of give you some perspective on where you are. Okay, well, if you're able to, as is our tradition, let's stand in honor of the word Word of God. We're going to read. I'm going to read these uh, verses here, and uh, we just stand in recognition of the Word of God here. So, Luke chapter 12, verses 49 to 59, and here Jesus says, and you can see the quotations: "I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished." Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now, for from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, um, there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer. Oops. And I tell you, you will never get out, of, get out until you have paid the very last penny. This is the word of God. Please have a seat. So it sounds like some disjointed things that are happening here that Jesus is saying, but it, it's not really disjointed. It really is, it really is um, united uh, by this kind of big idea here. Uh, that Jesus mentions in verses 49 to 50. And, and so just to kind of say it plainly here, Jesus has come to execute God's judgment against sin, and he calls us to repentance now. I mean, that's kind of it in a nutshell. 
And you'll see as we go along in these different components of this passage, that's what he's really getting across, okay? It doesn't like, it's not like he's going off and just talking about the weather, just like, oh, is, you know, you know guys know how to read the weather, or, oh, here's how you stay out of debt. No, these are all related, okay? They're all related. And so, as we look at this uh, big idea of Jesus coming to execute God's judgment against sin uh, and so on, we see him mention here, he says, I, I came to cast fire on the earth, and he said, and would that it would be already kindled. And what is this about? What is this about? Now, if, if we just were reading this verse on its own, uh, you would be thinking, okay, well, as you read your Bible, and whether you just stick within the book of Luke or you kind of look more broadly across the Scriptures, right? fire can have a connotation of judgment, it can have a connotation of refining, and it can have a connotation of the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, as just among some of the options. So when you're reading your Bible and you're doing your Bible study, you, what you want to do is, well, are there any clues around these verses that tell us maybe which one of these options it might be? Okay, and I think that as uh, when you go back to the previous verses that we covered last week, um, we we ended up in uh, you know ended up at verse uh, forty eight, and uh, and that's where it says. Uh, well, actually, let me just read the last previous couple of verses there. Um, verse 48 of chapter 12, it says, but the one who did not know and did, did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And we said, you know, this is not, we don't think this is really just, you know, we, these are people whose um, uh, works are being evaluated, uh, believers whose works are being evaluated. They're not going to be literally beaten, but there's a comparison of judgment going on, right? With their works, and so, and so, um, but so you get this is in the he, he's just talked about judgment, right? He has just talked about judgment, and um, I really don't think this uh, discourse here is is ending until we get to the you know even actually into the chapter thirteen. So I just think it makes sense that this fire is judgment, okay? That this fire that Jesus is speaking of uh, is judgment, and again. Uh, Certainly in the Old Testament, fire designates judgment. Uh, Jeremiah's words in Jeremiah 5.14, I don't have it for the screen, but in 5.14 and in 23.29, Jeremiah talks about uh, his words, says Jeremiah's words are as a fire that consumes the people, right? And then, and then you have other, you know, uh, prophets speaking uh, one is Amos, Amos 5, 6, where it warns Israel to seek the Lord lest he break out like fire. And so, uh, and there are many, uh, well, you just even think about, um, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed, right, uh, in, this, in a similar way. So, so I don't think it's any stretch to say that he's, Jesus is saying, I've come to bring judgment as well, right? And so, uh, this is this is what he says, and he also we get the sense that it's not complete. This judgment's not complete yet. Uh, he says, and, and and would that it were already kindled. I think it's like he's saying that would that it would would come and we would be uh, there at that point, but we're not. Right? You got to realize what we're reading here when this is happening. Right? We have the benefit of Christ having 
lived, died, and resurrected, and now is at the right hand of God. They were not. Jesus was with them, right, for the first time, right? He, he's he's, he's his, the first advent, if you will, right? And so, but uh, he is speaking that he's coming to, to judge uh, sin, and um, it's not, not fully happened yet, but there's an aspect of his first coming that relates to that, right? Don't we know that when he went to the cross, uh, the wrath of God was placed upon him in our place, right? Uh, he died in our place, which is an amazing, obviously, uh, understatement, an amazing act of love, right? But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is just incredible, right? Incredible. And so, um, so you know, he experienced the wrath of God uh, on the cross uh, for us. And so, uh, in, in that sense, you know, that part of his coming, there was a judgment, right, on him, right, even though he did nothing wrong. And um, he made him who knew no sin to, be, to become sin, right, in, the, in order that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, and that's, that's an amazing thing. So, so, we have this judgment that Jesus is proclaiming that's not been yet complete, right, in the final day of judgment, that will be completed. Then you look at verse 50. In verse 50 here where it says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Again, we get this, uh, and by the way, you know, we're kind of in the section here in Luke where um, uh, these are known as the hard sayings, right? These are, these are not only difficult to hear, but they're difficult to understand, right? So, uh, so when he's using the word baptism, again, we have to say, well, now what kind of, what is, what is this baptism? Is it water baptism? And he's saying, I have a baptism to be baptized with. Well, has he already been baptized with water? Yes, that happened earlier by John the Baptist, right? He, he uh, baptized Jesus. And so it's not that. It's not that kind of baptism. It's definitely not that. And, um, but um, again, just how it's so helpful when you read other scriptures to help shed light on what might this baptism be that he's talking about. And so uh, if you have your Bibles or you have a device with a Bible on it, take a look up this or write this down. Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, and one of the other Gospels, starting in verse 35. Mark 10, 35. Listen to what it says. And, and then look for when the word baptism is brought up. And so in verse 35, Mark 10, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him. So there's two of the disciples coming up to Jesus, and here's what they say. They say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. <laughs> well, that's, that's, you know, let's give him a blank check, you know. And that's just kind of a strange thing. And then he said in verse 36, What do you want me to do for you? Um, and, then he, and then they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. So that would be like a seat of honor, right? To be able to sit right next to Jesus in glory, right? And that's what they're asking. In verse 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said, we are able. And Jesus said to them, 
the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Um, and so this a baptism that he's speaking of is suffering. Okay, It's a baptism of suffering. He's yet to go to the cross. right? So it would not have been uh, uncharacteristic to talk about, um, you know, you, you've heard the phrase probably, uh, baptized through fire or something like that. You may have heard that phrase. Uh, but it would be something similar to that idea. And so, as Jesus is saying there, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished back there in Luke. I mean, you can imagine. He knows what's coming. He's going to suffer for all mankind on the cross, the most excruciating death. And and so it, it makes sense when you take the first part of this, verse 50, when it talks about baptized I have a baptism to be baptized with, and then the second part, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished, that that is talking about the cross, the cross and all the suffering that he would endure. And so so he's just letting them know um, that he's come to um, judge um, man's sinfulness. At the same time, he's letting them know that there is a uh, baptism of suffering that he is going to endure. before all that happens as well. And so uh, this just helps us set the stage here. Verses 49 and 50 kind of helps set the stage for the other verses. So, uh, so just, just think about that. Now, um, now, now he's going to go into three parts where he's going to explain people's misunderstandings. Okay, he's going to say, uh, you think, you know, you misunderstand this, you misunderstand this, you misunderstand this. And that's that's what he's going to point out. And so, you know, if someone's going to experience the forgiveness uh, that Jesus offers, they have to rightly understand who he is and what he came to do, right? And also, they have to understand their own problem, which is sin, right? And, and, and Jesus has been all along the way um, proclaiming a gospel of repentance and turning back, turning to God, right? And so, so, if we don't have a right understanding of who Jesus is, then, then we're, we're, we're not going to know how to get rightly related to God. We're not going to know how to be saved. We're not going to know how to be forgiven, okay? So this is so important, right? And, and we don't want to get our uh, ideas of what Jesus is really like, you know, from the movies. We don't want to take it from just things that other people have written. We want to go to the source, right? And, and Jesus is is trying to express to not only his disciples, but the crowds who were around uh, so that they would more fully understand why he was there. So let's take a look at some of these uh, points, uh, things that Jesus points out about some of the misunderstandings that there were that he wanted to address. The first one is they misunderstood Jesus's earthly ministry. They misunderstood Jesus's earthly ministry. Now, um, and this is in verses 51 to 53. As we look in those verses again, let's see what he has to say. He says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Verse 52, from now on, in one house, there will be be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And so he's expressing, uh, interestingly, this division, and in, even within households, right? 
And so why would he do this? Why would he say that uh, he has not come to give peace on the earth? And uh, now we know in other places Jesus was all about uh, talking about peace and unity and things like that, okay? So he's not coming, um, but, but he's telling us that he's, he's not, it's not like he's against peace, of course, okay, because there are many other places. If you look in Romans chapter 12, just write this down. You don't have to look it up. Romans 12, 18, we, we, the Word of God says, if possible, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. All right? So we, we know the Bible teaches that we should pursue peace. Okay? So uh, what is it that Jesus is getting at about this division? In fact, we also know that it's not that, that God wants us to, to uh, pursue being divided against each other. So many, many uh, scriptures that, and the letters that were written to the churches were about maintaining unity in the church and fighting for unity uh, in the church. And so, um, uh, you know, you, you think about this. Uh, so divisiveness, which is like the promotion of division, somebody that's trying to cause division, is a serious matter. In Romans sixteen seventeen, Paul warns, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. And so, you know, um, he's just simply saying, watch out for people that are actually uh, promoting things that are just uh, promoting, it's going to end up promoting division. Then in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, I urge you believers by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you... Uh, be in full agreement in what you say, and that there be no divisions or factions among you, but that you be perfectly united in your way of thinking and in your judgment, uh, as it goes on to say. And so we need to be united on the truth, okay? It's, he's not saying that, you know, you can't have a different color preference than me. Nothing like that, right? It, it doesn't even matter about the music preferences. That's just all uh, extra stuff, Okay, we got to be united on what the truth actually says and what the scriptures say. That's what we need to be united around. So my point is, it's not that Jesus is is against uh, peace. It's not that he's against uh, you know uh, unity. He's for those things, but he must mean something else, right? He must mean in a, in a certain way, he came not to make peace. Well, what is it? Well, listen. Um, there are going to be people within the same household. One person will believe in Jesus and the other will not. And there'll be people, and because of that, uh, it's going to cause some division. And this is just a reality. Jesus knows that that some people will uh, definitely not receive his message and they will reject it. And and this is really what he's getting at. He's simply stating the truth that not everybody is going to come down on the Jesus team, if you will say. I mean, something, you know, and, and if, you, if you've lived as a believer uh, and, and you're serious about your faith, you kind of probably bumped up against that. Maybe it's not in your own family, but maybe it's just amongst your friends. Maybe you've got some friends who, who uh, make fun of your faith or who think that you, you, know, you don't have a brain because you believe in God or you put your faith in Jesus and Certainly, um, if you've done your homework, you know that it's not that Christianity is, is not rational, okay? 
there, there are definitely reasons for faith. But yes, obviously, there's a faith element, okay? And so, and so we just have to realize this, that just like there were people who opposed Jesus, there will be people who oppose Jesus' followers, okay? And so we know that some of his, you know, his disciples um, uh, also um, were, were, they were martyred for their faith, right? And, and I think when Jesus was mentioning that quote I was giving you back in Mark 10, he's saying, okay, well, you guys, you, you will experience this. You will have this kind of baptism uh, that we're talking about. You'll, you will suffer for your faith. And, and um, so this is, the, this is the thing is that our, um, if we're not careful, now this might sound strange to you, but if we're not careful, our families can be an idol. Our families can be an idol. It's not unity at all costs. Okay? It's not. Um, you know, you know it's, it's either, you're, Jesus had said this earlier, and you probably recall this, he said this earlier, you're either for me or you're against me. Okay? And so he's just simply saying, um, you know, if you're going to follow me, it is definitely going to ruffle some feathers, and it's going to cause... Now, this doesn't mean you can't relate to people that reject your faith, right? That, you know, within the same household that you can't, you know, you shouldn't be friends with them, you shouldn't be, um, you know, uh, trying to uh, uh, share Christ with them or at least love them, you know, if, uh, but so that's not the point, but the point is that it's going to cause division, okay? And you just have to kind of realize that. Um, and, and, and again, you may have experienced some of that uh, yourself. Okay? But Jesus, first and foremost, needs to be first in our hearts, okay? not our families, okay? but Jesus. And that sounds strange to some people, okay? but that is, that is what Jesus calls us to. Okay? So this is the first misunderstanding there, is they, they, they kind of thought that you know, when Jesus was going to come, and of course, being the Messiah, that he would usher in an era of peace right then. That all this Roman oppression that they were experiencing on earth would be um, taken care of because the Messiah has come. And they did not understand that um, Jesus must first be, as Isaiah, Isaiah tells us, the suffering servant, and then he will return as the conquering king, Okay. This is important because if you miss that, uh, then you've misunderstood God's program of salvation, um, and that's problematic in a lot of ways. All right, so the second thing that they misunderstood is they, like I was just saying, they did not understand God's plan of salvation. Um, uh, if you will, redemptive history. They, they didn't put the pieces together, all right? And so let's see where we're getting that. If you look at verse 54... He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. In other words, you know the signs that it's going to rain, right? You look up in the sky and you, you know what's going to, you know what's coming. And then in verse 55, and when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat. And it happens. So there were, you know, he's just saying, you guys know how to read the conditions of the weather and, uh, and so on. And then he goes in verse 56, and he says, You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? 
Then it's, why, why don't you get what I'm preaching? Why don't you understand that this has been part of God's plan of saving mankind from the beginning, okay? That, that, that this is what the prophets have prophesied from the very beginning, right? And so he's simply saying that um, they needed to not be unaware of what was happening right then. Uh, why can you not see and understand the things I'm teaching you, that I'm trying to e- explain to you um, about sin and it separating us from God and that I've come that you might have life, right? And that's, that's, that is the reason I've come. And so he's like, you need to be able to understand these things. These are critical. If you misunderstand God's plan of salvation, you've missed the most important thing that you ever could understand. And when we do our membership class here at Darby Creek, uh, we start off and we just go through the gospel. And I'll just say, you know, um, I don't care if you remember anything else we we talk about today, but you have to understand God's plan of salvation. That's the most important thing. I don't care if you ever become a member here. I don't care any about that. Ultimately, I want you to have a relationship with God. I want you to know and experience the love that God has for you. And, and this is what's at stake, you guys. This is what's at stake, is that uh, we need to understand this message. And, uh, in fact, I was just talking with someone before the service today. We were talking about um, things that related to the Old Testament and the, the tabernacle and the sacrifices that were being offered there. Um, and and I, I was explaining that, you know, the Old Testament is so much better understood from having the benefit of the New Testament. In fact, um, if you read the book of Hebrews, the, the letter of the Hebrews in the New Testament, it really does unveil um, all the, so much of the Old Testament, like the sacrificial system, right? Um, in, in, uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, I think it is, we, we learn that the the blood of bulls and goats does not satisfy the wrath of God. It wasn't about those animals. It was about what those animals and those sacrifices represented. You know, so it, those, those things were um, pointing toward a spiritual reality that was going to come in the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, right, um, what, what do we know that John the Baptist said when he saw them coming towards him? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? Why did he call him the Lamb of God? He called him the Lamb of God because, you know, it would have been an unblemished lamb that you would have chosen to sacrifice, right? And, um, I mean, there's so much more that could be said about that. But my, my point is this. Um, these guys that Jesus is talking to at that time, they, they had all this knowledge of these sacrifices and the prophecies and so on um, of the Messiah's coming. And he's saying, you need to understand what's going on here with God's plan of salvation and that, that I, Jesus, am at the center of this, right? I'm at the center of this. I'm the one bringing this, in a sense, in the fulfillment of all these things, all the sacrifice and, and, and so on. So, we have to realize this, that there is, there is a common thread. You know, just like if you read, again, I'm not at all equating the Bible to a novel, okay? 
But if any good story writer, there is a theme that's being woven through there. And, and, and the Word of God, okay, has that scarlet thread, as it has been said, that's woven all throughout the entire Bible, and, and the, the book of the Bible, where it's the, God's plan of redemption, right? Sin entered the world. It has affected the human race ever since then, right? It's affected everything. Just read Romans chapter 1, right? And in our own sinfulness, we suppress the knowledge of God. We know there's a God, really. We know that there's someone we are going to be held accountable to, but we want to push that down. We want to, we want to not deal with that, right? We'd rather live as if there were no God and be, you know, and, and we actually selves, and we kind of put ourselves in the place of God in our own lives. And so, um, so Jesus is simply saying, you need to understand God's plan of salvation. You, you're able to read the, the signs of what's going on in the sky. You need to see what's going on right here and now regarding to my plan of salvation. You need to see that I'm the one, Jesus is saying. I'm the one you need to be looking to. I'm telling you um, how you can have life. I'm telling you how you can have a relationship with God. Jesus Right, we we know that Jesus, uh, he he told us all kinds of exclusive statements that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God the Father except through him. There's no other way to God. Okay, it's not like when you pull up your map on your phone and it says, "Okay, we got three different ways you can get there, and here's the time it's going to take you to get there." But you'll get there. No, there's one route to God, only one. And it goes right through Jesus, not anyone else. Okay, and that we have to, and Jesus is, is, is not only saying that, I mean, these guys definitely, um, I'm sure mostly believed in one God, okay, at this time. But what they weren't seeing was their sinfulness. <laughs> Many of them, especially the religious leaders, were not seeing the reality of their sinfulness. So uh, let's go to this last point here, this misunderstanding um, third misunderstanding. They do not understand now is the time to settle accounts with God. So kind of take that step further about God's plan of salvation. And, and don't you remember in the previous passage, um, you may remember if you were here, it was all about being ready, right? Be ready. Jesus, Jesus when he does come back the second time, it could be any time. Nobody knows the day or the hour, right? It's all about being ready. And so he's telling these folks right here, He's saying here in verse 57, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? And as you go, um, again, he's kind of getting at judging what's going on uh, rightly. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. So now we're talking about, what is this? You know, it seems like Jesus is taking a, a detour. He's talking about, court, and he's talking about somebody taking you to court, and he's saying, you better settle it out of court. You better settle things out of court before you have to go before the judge, he says, because the judge will hand you over to the officer, and they will put you in prison. Verse 59, he says, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. So the um, implication here is this was a debt that was owed, right? Till you pay every penny. 
This is not about money. This is not about some earthly court, is it? This is about a heavenly court. And Jesus is saying, let me tell you, it's like that being ready. You have a debt that you owe God. It's your sin. And until you make payment yourself or you receive the payment I'm going to give, you know, you're, you're lost. You're going to jail. They're going to they're gonna lock you in a cell and throw away the key. You're not getting out. You will pay the penalty. This is what he's telling us. This is what he's telling us. He's, he's really trying to give them a picture of the times that, that we're in. Uh, and and to, he says, judge for yourselves what is right. He's giving them a chance to do what they have failed to do until now, to interpret the signs of the times. The story is pretty clear, right? You are walking with an adversary on the way to see the magistrate. It's a financial issue, and you're going to pay every last penny. Settle it now. Jesus is simply saying, listen, believe in me now. Accept God's gift. You know, we can look on this side of the cross. Let's just talk like that. Okay? We can, the cross, Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's resurrected from the dead, right? And it, it, this would be like him telling us, listen, I, I'm coming back. You don't know when. And we've all sinned. Right? The Bible says that. We've all sinned, and it causes separation from us and God. We do not have a relationship with God initially in this world. Right? Okay? And so because of that, that's why Jesus had to come. And so Jesus is saying, get right with God. I mean, this is, I can't say it any more plainly. He's like, get right with God. You need to confess your sin, repent, and turn to Christ. That, I mean, if we were to contextualize what he's saying to them, in that time, into our time, meaning after Jesus gone, he would say, listen, you need to believe in me because I'm coming back and I will settle all accounts. And only the person who has put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins where will what he did on the cross count for them. Will his righteousness be put to their account and say, paid in full? Anyone who does not put their faith in Jesus, there will be a payment, but they'll have to make the payment. And that's separation from God for all eternity. And that's, he's, lay, he's really just laying it out here, right? And that's why, it's, why people call these the hard sayings, you know? Uh, it, it, but the thing is, is that, you know, um, I, I had some... I'm sorry, like a lot of my illustrations come from my teaching world because I live in that world too. But, you know, I've had, I had to have a difficult conversation with a student not long ago. We had to have a reality check um, because it was one of these things like, you know, and, you know, I, I found myself on the other end of these things, not in math but in other arenas where, you know, somebody would say, you know, you can't do the same things and expect different results. Because I would ask, like, well, how are you preparing for this? How many hours are you putting in outside this classroom on this subject? And tell me how you're studying. And so I gave some suggestions on, like, how to, you know, I just want to say, you know, you idiot, get it together. You know, that's not nice. You know, it's not, not only not nice, it's just not helpful, Right? And so, you know, let's, let's try to help get on the solution side, you know. 
And so I offered some suggestions, right? And so, so but, but, the, but this whole thing is that, you know, here's reality. If you don't accept reality, then you're probably not going to make the changes you need. And, and Jesus, right, he came to show us reality. He wanted to show us that we are separated from God and we need a Savior and that he's it. It's a very simple message. But um, we, have to, we have to deal with it. We have to, we either accept it or reject it. And obviously, uh, our hope here, uh, the reason why we're here is that people would not only understand the message, but would receive and believe in the message of Christ and why he came. And that is the mission of the church, certainly, uh, of any church uh, of Christ. And so... Um, Jesus wants us to be reconciled to God, and he's made the way. We just need to uh, turn to him. As I think about this concept of a debt when it comes to sin, uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Lord's Prayer, right? You think about the Lord's Prayer, right? It says, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive one of our, you know, others, people's debts. And, and those, I don't necessarily talking about finances, but um, it's about sinning against other people and and uh, and forget you know and us sin against them and you know he's saying forgive us and let us forgive others because you know a, a one of the real tests of whether we've really received God's forgiveness is whether we're forgiving other people. It's kind of a litmus test. So so what do we do with this? These these hard sayings. Well, I think really you go back to the big idea. What was the big idea in verses forty nine fifty? Jesus has come to execute God's judgment against sin, and he calls us to repentance. Will we respond? It's really that and that simple. And how do you respond? You know, really just say, you know, if you recognize your need for Christ um, and, you know, that, you're, um, that you've, you do things that are not in alignment with God's will and, and we're born in sin, like it says there in the Scriptures, we, we are sinners, that if, once you recognize that, you realize, you know, I'm in deep doo-doo. Right? I mean, I mean, you know, it's like you're lost. That's why the Bible uses the word lost. You're lost, and, and you, you know, there's only one way to be found, and that's Jesus, and that's putting your faith lock, stock, and barrel in him. And if you've done that already, you should just be singing your hallelujahs. A, that God had grace on you. He showed his mercy on you to awaken your heart to the reality of your sinfulness and your need for Jesus. Because that takes an act of God. Okay? In our sinfulness, we don't move towards God. That's not our natural inclination. In our sinfulness, we don't move towards Him. But when God is working on us, in our sinfulness, we move towards Him. And so this morning, if you uh, are seeing the reality of what Jesus is saying, that he's come to judge and that he's saying, listen, you should settle accounts now. Don't, don't wait. You know, everybody always says, not everybody, some people I talk to, they say, well, I'll deal with that later in life. And I'm not saying this in any kind of manipulative way. You have, you know, read the obituaries, man. People die young. People die and they didn't think they would be at that time. I'm just saying. And at that point, the settling of accounts is too late. Okay? 
It, it really is. And so it's very sobering, actually, you know. It's very sobering. And so, so just realize that, you know, that was God's greatest act of love was on that cross, and it was for you. And he just wants you to come to him and to confess your sin to him and receive the forgiveness that can only be had through him. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, he's saying, know the times. The time is near. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning, um, and we, it, it's hard to hear words like that. It's, 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 uh, but I, I love the fact that Jesus, he doesn't pull the punches because we need to know. We need to know our need for a Savior and God, we just, we just pray, I just pray, Lord, if anyone here has not put their faith in Jesus, that today might be the day they say yes to him. They would say, God, I don't know everything about what's, what this is all about, but I do know uh, I'm in need of your forgiveness, and I do believe that Jesus is the Savior. Would you forgive me and come into my life? And Lord, uh, I, I know that you honor the heartfelt prayer something along those lines. It's not about the words, but the idea of needing a Savior, needing to be forgiven of our sin. And so, Lord, we um, thank you that you, you made it uh, so simple that a child, it says a child can come to faith. And so, Lord, we, um, if, if you've already, uh, for those of us that already know Jesus, Lord, let us rejoice in the fact that Jesus experienced the baptism of suffering for us. And that because of what he did, we will escape that final judgment um, that has to do with heaven or hell, Lord. And um, Lord, give, give us a greater love for people in our lives that we might be able to share with them the good news of Jesus. Um, I, I think about how your word says perfect love casts out fear. Lord, give us a, 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 such a great love, the love that you have for people. Put it in our hearts that we wouldn't let fear of others and what they might think stop us from relating and relaying the message about what Christ has done for them. We ask it in Jesus' name.